Well, hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Hyperion Adventures Podcast. I'm Tom. As always, I'm here with my gorgeous, super smart, and Star Wars loving wife, Michelle. <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. And I'm here with my wonderful, awesome, sexy husband, Tom. Oh, you're too sweet. Thank you very much. Uh, sexy, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know you didn't make the big list of the sexiest man of the year. But I know you were like, what, second? Sure. <laughs> second from the bottom, probably. <laughs> but I appreciate it. Thank you for thinking that I am. That's really sweet of you. So uh, thank you for joining us today. We are recording this episode on Sunday, November 17th. 2019. We're midway through the month. What a week it was. Disney Plus. We're going to talk a little bit about that later, but uh, just a crazy Disney week again. Yeah. It was funny to see Twitter kind of go on to a kind of like a hush because everybody was watching great content on Disney Plus. Not only a hush on Twitter, it was also kind of funny because, and I did tweet this out, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, but it, it was reality and I knew this was going to happen, but like on Tuesday, like our download numbers were way lower than what they would <laughs> normally be on a Tuesday and there's only one possible reason for that. Everybody in the world was going, every at least Disney fan was checking out Disney Plus that day and uh, we were right there along with them. And we'll, again, we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later later in uh, the show. Thank you for joining us today. In the future, you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts. However, the best place to find us is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. And while you're there, why don't you just go ahead and sign up for the newsletter? That way you can get all this great information about what we have coming up on our show, including we have a little bit of our change to our, our trivia contest that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Yeah, so we really do hope you sign up for our newsletter. It's just a fun way for us to have another way to communicate and share things with you, um, let you be the first to know certain things. And, you know, when we have tips and tools, we can share that with you as well. So it's just a fun way. We're not sharing the list with anybody. Just ourselves. Just ourselves. Just ourselves. Uh, yeah. And you, if you want to also follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And if you ever want to contact us for any reason, uh, if, whether it be to ask a question, to suggest a topic, or if you just want to say hi, you can always email us at Hyperion Adventures Podcast at gmail.com. Right. And we do love hearing from you. We do. We love hearing from all our Hyperion Adventures. Uh, lots of stuff for you today, including a couple of guest favorite attractions at Disneyland are scheduled for refurbishment. Uh, Disney Cruise Line receives yet another accolade. And, oh, I don't know if you heard about it, but uh, Disney's streaming service kicked off and it was fairly successful in its first few days. <laughs> I think a few people signed up for it. Just a few. <laughs> and we'll talk about that. But first, uh, let's get to this week's Hyperion Adventures Trivia Contest winner. Of course, last week we were giving away his uh, great Disney Plus hat. It's all about Disney Plus this last <laughs> week. And we do have a winner. That's right. We have, and I hope I say the city correctly, it's Doug from... Escoban? Escalon. Escalon. Mm, Escalon. I couldn't I, even read I think. my own. I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly. I don't but, even know uh, if I read my handwriting correctly. But, right. But thank you, Doug, for participating. For those of you who didn't make it, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> We appreciate everybody who, who took a crack at it. And uh, this Disney hat, Doug, we will be sending it out to you. I will be contacting you to get your address so we can mail it off to you. Now, uh, we are going to be changing our trivia game slightly in the weeks to come. Well, we kind of decided 
Um, maybe we shouldn't do this thing every single week. So we're going to do this once a month. And to simplify things, we are going to knock out the trivia questions and just go with code words every week. So all you'll have to do is listen every single week for the code word at the end of the month. Uh, we'll just ask you for all three, four, however many code words we had in between. And yeah, you just need to give them all to us. And that will enter you into the contest for whatever our prize will be at the end of the month. Correct. And if you do give us a five-star review, uh, we will also add you in for a, another opportunity for the drawing. Right. There'll be a second entry. So you have double the chances to try and win whatever prize we have coming up. And I don't know what we're going to have coming up at the end of the month yet, but we will announce that probably next week. So, uh, but we do have a code word for this week. Michelle, what is today's code word? The code word is Maz. Maz. The code, code word, word is Maz, and that will relate to our main topic that we'll be getting to in just a little bit. Again, thanks to everybody who took part in the trivia contest over the last several weeks. By the way, uh, Camille, who won the poster last week, right. got in. She posted a really wonderful uh, Instagram story showing some of the detail work. Yeah. Out thanking us. It was really nice. Thank you, Camille. Yes. Thank you for taking the time to do that. We really appreciate it, and I'm glad you love it. And yes, it is a great poster. We do have another one. Yeah, if you can pry it out of my hand, <laughs> <Which> because <I'm laughs> hashtag real man love frozen, you know. I know. It might be the next prize. Yeah. We'll see about we'll that one. <laughs> we'll see about that one. We'll see Our if you wrestling. can get that away from me, but uh, we'll definitely find out about that. So uh, let's go to the next topic, which is we also had another week of our Hyperion Adventures Disney Hall of Fame category, another list of nominees right. we sent out. Again, uh, great response. Thank you for everybody that helped us out with that. Uh, this week's uh, category was uh, Disney and Pixar animated characters. So the best animated characters. We already are grandfathering in the Sensational Six, so you didn't have to worry about Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy, Pluto, and Daisy. They were already getting in. They're going to be in our Hall of Fame. But there were some great characters that we wanted to include in there. And anything that got a at least two nominations is going to be on the final ballot come December. Now, before we get to who made it through, let's get to our list that who we picked as our nominees. Michelle, who were your five that you picked? Okay, my five, and this is not in, in any order. This is just, uh, I guess I could have put it alphabetical. Maybe I can do that as I'm saying them. Yes. Um, Flynn Rider. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack from... Skeleton. Skeleton. Jack Skeleton. Uh, Mater. Ah, from Cars. Cars, right. Uh, Pocahontas and Woody. Ah, very nice. Thank you. It's what about yours? List. My list, well, as you know, hashtag... Real men love Frozen. So it's Anna, Elsa, Olaf, Kristoff, Sven. No, I'm just kidding <laughs> with like, that. Wow. No, no. Uh, <laughs> however, two of those did make our, my list. Anna and Elsa are on my list as characters. Uh, <laughs> listen to that grunt. Uh, well, let's see how this one is. My next one is Nick Wilde from Zootopia. Oh. That's a great one. Okay. Uh, Winnie the Pooh from Winnie the Pooh, which I'm shocked was not <gasps> oh on your my list. God. Yes. And can I change my list? 
<laughs> nope, sorry, the, the time has cut off. Um, oh, you'll you'll man. be you'll be happy to know that even though you didn't pick Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh is going to make it. Yes. Through, so. uh, <laughs> and finally, finishing off my list is Tinkerbell from Peter Pan, and of course the Tinkerbell movies oh, and yeah. such. So that is my five that made it through. Now on to the list of who will be on our December ballot for top. Um, Disney and Pixar animated characters. And yes, Michelle's pick of Jack Skellington is making it yes. through from The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, Wally from, I don't know, what movie was he from? <laughs> Wally, of course, from pick. Wally yes. is definitely making it through. Aladdin from Aladdin is making through. Anna from Hashtag Real Man Love Frozen <laughs> is making it through. Woody from all the Toy Story movies will be on the list. Uh, Genie from Aladdin. Sully from Monsters, Inc. Dory from Finding Nemo and, of course, Finding Dory. Timon and Pumbaa separately from The Lion King. Elsa from Frozen making it through. Flynn Rider hashtag, or slash Eugene Fitzherbert will be making it. Although I'm the only one who names him, calls him Eugene Fitzherbert, but uh, uh. he will make it through. No, I think actually somebody named him as Eugene, but uh, he, from Tangled, of course, makes it through. Stitch from Lilo and Stitch is on the list. Rapunzel from Tangled. Belle from Beauty and the Beast, Moana from Moana, uh, <laughs> Tiana from The Princess and the Frog, Tinkerbell from Peter Pan, Remy from Ratatouille makes wow, it through, Buzz Lightyear from the Toy Story movies, Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University, Mater, yes, Michelle's Yay. pick, Mater made it through, Thomas O'Malley from the Aristocats nice. is on the list. Wow. Here is the oddball that came out of left field that I love is on this list. Bruce the Shark from Finding <laughs> Nemo is going to be on our final wow. ballot. I love that. Oh, that's interesting that they got multiple because it, yes. it needed multiples to make right. the list. So, so that's quirky. so funny. And it wasn't like we put him through. It wasn't right. on our list. So Bruce the Shark made it through. I love it. Uh, Olaf from Frozen. Simba from The Lion King. Rafiki from The Lion King. And yes, like I just mentioned earlier, Winnie the Pooh from the Winnie the Pooh movies will be on our final ballot in December. Uh, so, And you will get a chance to vote on that. I believe, I, I think I said there were 28 uh, that made it through, something like that. Yeah. And we'll have you pick uh, up to 10. And then this, if, if they make a certain percentage of ballots, they will make it to our Hall of Fame, just kind of like the, you know, the NFL, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame and so forth. Very cool. Yeah. So we also have a new category for you this week. And we're moving on back to favorite films. But this time we're going live action. So we're going to ask you to list your five nominations for at least what you're you like as the best or most important live action Disney, Marvel, or Star Wars films. Wow. It's going to make it very difficult as I, I'm sorry that we torture you every single <laughs> week. Uh, but as you can see, many of your favorites make it through anyways because so many people are taking right. part in this. So they make it through. Uh, but uh, And also we've seen a little cheating on the side, but that's, you know, with a few extra names thrown in there. But that's okay because we specialize that with that in the <laughs> Hyperion Adventures podcast. That. So it's okay if I, eh, I can't decide between two. Maybe I'll put six out there try and stay away from that but if you do we understand it's all right right that's like i i wanted to put phineas and fur but i thought that would be a count as two and i didn't want to lose vote so you should have done that. I, we had somebody, I think it was Tony from Disney Discussions Podcast, asked about Chip and Dale. I said Chip uh, and Dale should be one because I couldn't see Chip going in without Dale or vice versa. Uh, 
you know, uh, somebody actually put in Timon and Pumbaa. I think it was uh, Keenan from Parva World did Timon and Pumbaa together. <laughs> I'm like, fine, whatever. That's fine. We'll let them go through. They were going to make it through anyway. So right. that's good. So. Cool. Anyway, uh, but a lot of fun. So uh, we will want to know this week, and you know, you'll be sending out social media-wise and on the newsletter and everything, looking for your uh, the best lo- Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, anything you know in the Disney umbrella, live action films, and we'll be putting you know getting your nominations. And just like this week, uh, if you get at least multiple nominations, it will be on the ballot come December. Right. Well, I'm surprised she clumping all those categories I know, together i know i may split them up in and later iterations of this hall of fame but to start it off i i wanted to kind of keep it tight so it's going to be just four categories in total and this is category number three gotcha so, all right so, and then maybe next year i will split it up into some kind of subcategories to kind of allow some more through but we'll see how this one goes and right. decide on that later on so again thanks for everybody who's taken part yeah. in that so far and i think we're having a lot of fun and it, I'm, again we're sorry that we're torturing people out there to <laughs> make you pick between your favorite children (laughs) that's funny (laughs) well before we get into our main topic there is something i wanted to bring up um one of the things i was realizing is that you know we did the fest parker uh winery as one of our recent episodes and i know some people aren't into wine or alcohol and we just want to go back and reiterate that it really wasn't a episode about wines. I mean, it was, but it wasn't totally about right. Wine. It wasn't. I, I would say it wasn't even mainly about wine. I think mainly it was a topic about the legendary and Disney legend Fess Parker, and we were really fortunate to be able to get his son as our our guest, which was pretty phenomenal and exciting for us. So. If you didn't listen to that episode because you thought it was about wine, I want to encourage you to try to listen to it because it really is so much more to that. Absolutely. And I, I, I do believe our downloads have been fine for those episodes, both the that mm-hmm. and Gogi wine, Kurt right. Russell's Gogi wines, they've been fine. Uh, but if for some reason you didn't, you know, tune into that one. You think, eh, you know, I'm not into wine. It's not for me. Right. Uh, there are other Disney related things that you might get out of it. And of course we always do other Disney stuff, including the Disney stories of the week and, right. and, and, and our tips and everything else. So there are reasons, but those episodes, you know, I, I was actually a little surprised cause I thought it was, they were niche episodes that people may not download as much or want to do as much, but they are doing just fine. And I'm, Good. I'm pretty happy I just didn't it. want somebody to miss an opportunity to hear about Fess Parker and get to hear the interview with his son mm-hmm. because they might have thought it. But so that's great. Thank you, listeners, for mm-hmm. even going into some of our niche topics. That's Look, so yeah. fun. Uh, thanks to all our Hyperion adventurers. Yay! We, I mean, we we appreciate you so much that you want to listen to us talk about anything revolving around Disney and Star Wars and Marvel and whatever the case may be. We can't tell you how much uh, we appreciate it and we appreciate you and to you you know taking part in all these things the you know the hall of fame the trivia games all this stuff uh we really appreciate you very much thank you very much so let's get quickly to our main topic of the week and michelle can you believe we are just a little over a month away 
Until we wrap up the Skywalker saga, the wow. rise of Skywalker. I know. It's so hard to believe. It's, it's, um, it's going to be it's here. It's kind of emotional. Right. It's going to be here before we know it. And we've been, of course, recapping all the Star Wars films to this point, kind of to get you set for the rise of Skywalker. And we've gone through the original trilogy. We've gone through the prequel trilogy. We've gone through the standalone films. And now, finally, we are getting to the sequel trilogy. And I couldn't be more excited about it because these are all the films that came out or, or, you know, I mean, obviously we did a couple films when Disney released them, but these are the actual Skywalker saga films from Disney. Yeah, very exciting ones. And, you know, when this one started, I mean, there was a lot of hype. I mean, it was something that was really unique to come back to life and everybody was excited about it. Speaking of the hype, let's get to uh, the trailer for our film today that we're looking back on our Star Wars Remembered Remembered series, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Still gives me chills at the moment at the end there. Right. To this day, that's one of the most amazing trailers I've ever seen, and I still love it so much. Oh, absolutely. And the we're home. Yeah. So good. Sounds good. And of course, as we do always for the Star Wars Remember series, we're happy to bring aboard the person who actually brings home the meat of this broadcast of these episodes, (laughs) our great friend, Rob LeBerry from the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Rob, thanks so much for joining us today on our Star Wars Remembered series. Raise the Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) But also, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. Always great to have you with us. Again, we Michelle and I kind of bring the fluff to these episodes, <laughs> yeah. but Rob gets into the meat. He knows all the details. He really makes us sound smart through these Star Wars <laughs> Remembered uh, shows. That's absolutely true. He's uh, He's got all the 
the fun facts, the all the knowledge, yeah, Jedi the knowledge. knowledge, the Jedi knowledge, all fall straight from the Jedi Temple archives. I know, yeah. it's so appropriate. Yeah. Uh, so, Rob, just you know, hearing that trailer back again, I know that had to bring back great memories to you. Yeah, I mean the the first part, you know, we heard a lot of that uh, in Return of the Jedi, so it was a nice callback to that. But uh, the music, once again, just uh, had so much emotional impact, and uh, certainly the end of that trailer when you see Han and Chewie appear uh on the millennium falcon and say that they're home that was i think that was the place where a lot of people lost it so <laughs> definitely a great trailer uh certainly served to get my interest and excitement level up not that that was that difficult but uh you know i was i was super pumped to go see this when it came out in theaters yeah i mean i think the fact that they brought back obviously it's it's luke voicing that and then uh right. there is Han and Chewie, and you're seeing the characters you grew up loving in the original trilogy. I, I mean, I know we're going to probably talk a lot about nostalgia uh, through when we go through uh, talking about The Force Awakens, but it just brought so much home. And uh, I still remember afterwards, even after the film debuted this trailer, they would show it. Uh, it was attached to the world of color for a right. while. It was in the Path of the Jedi. And every single time I watched it, when we, you know, Chewie were home, I would it would bring a tear to my eye. Right. There'd be chills. Even to this day, I still get chills. So, uh, just great job by marketing by Lucasfilm and Disney. Yeah, totally. It was, you know, you would have thought that might have been a spoiler, but it really just brought the excitement and interest to go see that film. Mm -hmm. No question about it. So let's get to it. Uh, this film, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, debuted on December eighteenth, two thousand fifteen. The first. First film that debuted uh, in December for Star Wars. Right. It's been kind of more of a tradition since uh, Disney took over Lucasfilm. Uh, Disney purchased, of course, Lucasfilm in October of 2012, and then they went right to work on getting started on uh, you know these films uh, forwarding the Skywalker saga on. So, of course, this film, the synopsis of it, uh, give or take, is uh, we <laughs> find that years have passed since the fall of the Empire, but the galaxy is still just as tumultuous. We learn about a new battle for supremacy and a race to find a long-lost hero. Along the way, we travel from a junkyard of a desert system to one of lush forests and water and find out that the Emperor wasn't alone in creating super weapons, although maybe he had played a part in that. We'll find out. Uh, we're also introduced to a new batch of heroes and villains and revisit some of our favorites from the past as they struggle to help return peace to the galaxy. I think that kind of sums up the movie without giving it away too much, <laughs> right? Right, that totally sums it up. Rob, um, <laughs> your thoughts. I, I know we talked about a little bit about this, you know, that you were excited for it, but going in and, and seeing the film to begin with, any just preliminary thoughts about it? Uh, well, you know, obviously, after... Uh, growing up with the original trilogy and having so much attachment to all those characters and then kind of going back to the prequels. And, you know, we've talked a lot about what did and didn't work within the prequels, but there's always, when you start a new chapter like this, uh, you know, some trepidation in terms of are the new characters going to work? Is it going to feel like star Wars? Is it going to, uh, you know, hit that perfect mix of new content and then some of the throwbacks that, uh, kind of tug on your heartstrings, uh, you know, where they tie it back to the original trilogy. So, uh, I was a, a little bit nervous about you know how it was going to come off and certainly having disney at the helm you know there's a lot of question around that but um once i actually got in the theater and kind of saw how these new characters were interacting and uh they just felt like they they fit together really well and so then it was a lot easier to just kind of let all the the nerves go i guess and just enjoy what it was which was just a great classic star wars romp 
Yeah, uh, completely agree with that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that you talk about the new characters. Let's get to the cast right off of that. It's a good lead in. Uh, So, of course, we did have some new heroes being introduced in this uh, film. Uh, A new triumvirate of heroes, as a matter of fact, you know, like we've had the trios in the past. Uh, This time it's Daisy Ridley as Ray. Uh, John Boyega as FN2187, also known as Finn. And uh, Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron, kind of the new group of of heroes, uh, kind of on along that uh, Han, Luke, and and Leia from the original trilogy. Um, I was really, I, I don't know about you guys, but... I thought they all played their roles spectacularly, but I was really taken aback and I still am rewatching it uh, by Daisy Ridley uh, playing Ray. And, you know, she really hadn't done a, a lot before this film, but uh, I thought her, uh, her performance within it is really, really excellent. Yeah. It, it, you know, I mean, she definitely captures that strong person, um, a female character who, who, you know, is somebody that, can be a role model for sure you know but and just how they interacted and interplayed I thought was also very reassuring to see that they are holding on to that same kind of dynamics that the original trilogy had Mm -hmm. Uh, Rob any thoughts on Ray Finn and and Poe I thought that they you know it's a huge job to fill the shoes of being you know the kind of key trio in a Star Wars trilogy and uh, they certainly had enormous shoes to fill with you know, the, the Han Luke and Leia, um, grouping from the original trilogy. So she seemed to step into that really smoothly. And again, like I said, it's the interplay between the characters, especially in this film, uh, Finn and Ray, the fact that, you know, they just seem to work so well together. Um, their exchanges were pretty natural and, uh, you know, they, they did a good job again with the comedy, which is always a component of any good star Wars film in my, in my mind. It's, you know, that kind of just natural off the cuff comedy where it doesn't seem like it's forced and it's not trying to be too slapsticky but uh you know just as kind of in the moment you know those snarky little comments that we grew up watching uh in the original trilogy and and i felt like that worked really well with these characters in this particular film Agreed yeah. uh, so much. And and part of that uh, bringing comedy, but also bringing heart to it uh, was the addition of a new droid in, in BB-8. And, you know, I, I still look back at it today and we love BB-8. We just fell in love with him immediately. And, you know, the one thing that about BB-8 that I really love, and it's kind of the similar to R2-D2 in many ways, is that, uh, you know, just through the sound effect, just through uh, BB-8 talking and the puppetry work of the fact that, you know, there's the, the you know, the little tilt to the head one way or right. another can express so much emotion from you know what is supposed to be an animatronic being you know right i mean you know i think in the star wars all the star wars films that we see that in characters that actually don't have dialogue mm-hmm. that we really see their heart coming through you know you see that like you said in bb8 in chewy uh, the wookies i mean they really have done a great job of being able to be expressive without mm-hmm. using actual words. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, any thoughts on BB-8 by any chance? Well, I mean, certainly the the items that you guys are talking about, the fact that they do a wonderful job of making these, you know, inanimate objects or these characters that don't actually have a face uh, come off as giving expressions that are appropriate for whatever the scene is that they're in. And uh, again, I think that 
another thing that goes along with great Star Wars is the droids that have that personality and that you really have a connection to, um, which every Star Wars film that I really love has got at least one of those characters. Uh, and, you know, kind of as an aside to that, and we'll talk a little, a little bit about it when we get to Kylo Ren, but characters in helmets that are able to express, sure. uh, which I think is no small feat um, when you can't see facial features as well. Well, let's get to that since we're talking about Kylo Ren uh, already. Let's get to a, kind of the triumvirate of villains in, in this film, and that is Adam Driver as Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo, uh, Damal Gleason who plays General Hux, and uh, Gwendolyn Christie, who maybe is a little underused in this film as Captain Phasma, but still uh, plays a, a key role within it. Uh, Michelle, your thoughts on any of the villains in the film? Um, I thought... Well, certainly the parallel with um, Kylo Ren and his grandfather really came through. I mean, obviously with things like color schemes and the music that accompanied it. And and I thought that, um, yes, the three of them really were a very... They give me chills. <laughs> <laughs> They're scary. No, they were scary. No, I mean, intimidating. I mean, yeah. I, it, it is funny because even like when we go for the photo ops and we go oh, actually yeah. meet Kylo Ren, it's like, wow. He is intimidating. He is intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> so true. So true. Uh, Rob, your thoughts on them? Well, I do have a funny story real quick. Just uh, when, when my wife and I got married down at Disney World, we ended up going to that Kylo Ren meet and greet at, at one point during our vacation there. And she kind of had her back to where he comes around the corner. And uh, he came up behind her and she turned around and she was definitely intimidated. So uh, that is a very intimidating character. Yes. I thought it was, you know, again, they're trying to uh, create a villain that is as imposing as a Darth Vader, uh, which is a big ask. And I thought Kylo Ren did a, a pretty good job of it. He's clearly not. Uh, what Vader was uh, within the original trilogy, but he's definitely working along his path. And I thought it was kind of cool that they went with the scenario where he wasn't uh, someone who tended to to go straight to the darkness. I mean, he kept feeling, you know, he keeps talking about feeling the pull to the light and mm -hmm. he's kind of going against his nature. Uh, and it'll be very interesting to see in this next installment if they get into a little bit more of an explanation on why that was. Yeah. Right. Well, I think it's it's key in this film that, you know, he seems to portray a little bit different person, a little bit different character, whether he has the mask on or the mask off. I mean, you know, he's a little bit more Ben Solo, I think, a lot of times when he has the mask off. Right. Uh, or at least you could see it more pulling at him. But when the mask on, obviously trying to hide that and bury himself kind of within the dark side, it seems more to me personally anyway. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, Michelle. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. Uh Although he took the mask off in times that I thought put him at a vulnerable state that I wouldn't have expected, hmm. you know, I mean, but maybe that's Poe, part of it is what I'm saying is right. that, you know, maybe he's trying to be in, you know, some of the light side is leaking through a little bit there. Yeah. Just, just a thought. Yeah. I mean, it just seemed like he was kind of more free taking the mask off than I would have expected. Hmm. Rob, any thoughts on that by any chance? No, I mean, I, I agree that uh, I think that he was struggling uh, kind of with this tug of war between the, the light and the darkness. And we'll get into it a little bit later when we talk about, you know, one of the key scenes in the film. And there were a lot of things that they did with the visuals in that particular scene uh, when he and Han Solo have their confrontation. But I think we'll save that for a little bit later. Yes, absolutely. Although, I don't know, I kind of at times felt that because he was taking his mask off. I, I I don't know if it was for himself or for who he was talking to, but it was almost like, let me show you, I can still be just as powerful without this mask. Mm. 
Yeah, it's a good point. Everybody takes it, interprets it differently, right. and that's what, one of the things we love about uh, you know, watching these Star Wars films and looking with in depth into them. Right. So. That's cool. Uh, Andy Serkis does what he does so well and comes back as a kind of a CGI character and playing Supreme Leader Snoke in a limited role, although we don't really find out a lot about him. and We still have not found out a lot about him, although I, I understand there's a comic series that's kind of delving a little more deeply into him. But uh, still, it was a, an interesting piece of the beginning puzzle, Michelle. Right, yeah, I agree. And, you know, trying to... Pick, put all this together at that time. It was almost like, like it whet your appetite. We need to know more about, mm-hmm. you know, what the backstories are to these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, any thoughts? Well, certainly the fact that there was so little known about him uh, was a huge point of contention within this film and The Last Jedi. And I have to believe that, uh, you know, it's not very common for them to introduce major characters that we don't find out more about at some point. So I have to believe there's going to be more revealed about him. Uh, in the the rise of Skywalker, even though he potentially is not going to be there, you know, physically. Mm-hmm. Although I have heard some rumors that uh, Andy Serkis did go kind of sort of disappear for a little while when he was supposed to go to some uh, cons and stuff. That mm. maybe there could play a part in that, but uh, no confirmation of that. Obviously, we don't really know anything. But like uh, Gollum, actually, <laughs> it's precious, it's precious. So on to the characters we knew and love. Of course, Harrison Ford returns as Han Solo, Carrie Fisher as uh, General Leia Organa, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Peter Mayhew uh, splits time in this one, along with uh, Jonas Suetamo, who takes over kind of in the more physical uh, parts as playing Chewbacca and uh, Mark Hamill, although he's only in it for a little bit, does return uh, as Luke Skywalker. But I I don't know about you guys, but it was just so great to see them all on the screen at some point, even though it was rare to get them all together at any one time throughout this film. Right. I mean, actually, even before the film came out, when there was press releases about the filming and that there were the pictures of the cast read of the of the story mm-hmm. um, and showing them all together in a room in a circle around each other, you know, talking to each other. It was really interesting to see that. It was like, wow, that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, your thoughts on the original group? Uh, I thought, you know, it was great to see Han and Leia kind of have their scenes together. It was definitely, I'm in the camp of people who were disappointed that we didn't get to see, uh, you know, Luke and Han have scenes together or Luke and Leia, especially, um, in this particular film. And that, that Luke was, you know, a very small part of this film anyway. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're always, always happy to see our original, uh, original trio back on screen. Uh, and it was a long time coming. So, yeah. uh, definitely well away. Interesting in the marketing leading up to this, there were so many quite because, you know, you wouldn't see Luke Skywalker anywhere in the trailers. You heard his voice, obviously, as we just played that trailer a little bit ago. But he was not making an appearance in, in any of these trailers. And so there was even stuff of going out on social media of, you know, where's Luke? You know, headlines in newspaper. Where's Luke? And what is going on? And obviously uh, that played a part in the fact that this was essentially a search for Luke Skywalker and, right. uh, you know, finally uh, found him at the end. But uh, uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but, you know, really tricky playthrough. And one more character that I think that we need to talk about a little bit about is, and again, uh, underused but uh, the scene that uh, she's in is extremely powerful and that is Lupita Nyong'o as uh, Maz Kanata um, right. just just an excellent excellent new character and I was a little bit disappointed that she was 
only slightly used. You know, you just get a quick appearance of her in The Last Jedi. I'm looking forward to her making a another appearance uh, in The Rise of Skywalker. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, well, we don't want to talk about the next film because until next episode we talk about that but um yeah i agree with you she was that's why she's our code word for the day but um it was very fun um i think even more so the backstory of how she became the character on here and how they created her from um jj's you know uh most influential teacher Mm -hmm. you know i thought that was a touching story definitely definitely rob your thoughts on maz Uh, i love maz's character um uh, she definitely falls into, and this kind of goes for this film as a whole. I, you know, the first episode in a trilogy, you're expecting them to kind of set up some things that are then going to be delivered on in the next couple of films. And, uh, her character was definitely one that I fully expected that we were going to see a lot more of. And, uh, I guess we'll talk in the next episode more about whether that actually occurred or not within the last Jedi, but, um, certainly, you know, uh, very intriguing. She, she, uh, raised a lot of questions that I wanted to know answers to, and I'm hoping that we get some of those answers, I guess, within the Rise of Skywalker. I would imagine that if, whether we get them in the Rise of Skywalker or not, we will eventually get them in either that or comics or book. There's so much that's coming out that's right. kind of filling in the cracks uh, that's not necessarily on the big screen anymore that maybe we, we will uh, get some of that. But I think we're going to get a lot of that in the Rise of Skywalker. I really do. I really think J.J. is finishing this off with a purpose, but we'll right. find out more in a little over a month here. So uh, speaking of that, the, you know, the writing of this, it, it, it initially was started as uh, Michael Arndt was uh, tabbed to do the screenplay for this film. Uh, however, he got so many months in, uh, just wasn't kind of following the Lucasfilm timeline of how they wanted <laughs> to get this done. Uh, so they kind of let him go. And then uh, Lawrence Kasdan and J.J. himself, J.J. Abrams, stepped in and took over the duty in October of 2013. And uh, Larry Kasdan, you know, is famous for writing with Star Wars, and he, he did another fantastic job with this one. Teamed up with JJ, working together. I, I just think they did a magnificent job with this screenplay. Yeah, definitely. I think that the dialogue was richer than what we may have seen in some of the other prior films. Um, you know, they the interactions that they brought through with the dialogue, I thought were more realistic, and yet they still, and you know, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, included the comedy writing into it as well mm-hmm. rob your thoughts on uh larry and larry Kasdan and jj abrams i really enjoyed the screenplay i know that there was a lot of people kind of giving it uh kind of giving it a hit because it was in some cases very derivative of the original star wars film but again i think that um you know it was really done more to kind of reestablish things for a new generation of viewers um and i really didn't have an issue with it in the sense that you know the empire was certainly uh, prone to kind of going back to the same super weapon over and over and over in the first order, kind of taking things to the next level. Uh, I thought that Starkiller base was, you know, very, uh, very much in line with kind of how they handled everything else. Every star destroyer was larger. Every, you know, mm-hmm, uh, right. every tie pilot was sleeker. Every fighter that they had was, you know, the next level. Um, and we'll, I want to get into that a little bit later, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that uh, they were telling a good story, and I think, as I said before, they set up a lot of really good things uh, to be, you know, places to take it uh, within the next couple films. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I think the nostalgia kind of needed to be a part since they're bringing this all back, and you're bringing back the classic characters. I think nostalgia kind of needed to be a part of it, right. uh, derivative or not. I think it was a great storyline. You know, I mean, really, how many true? 
new things are created out there. New storylines right. are created. And you know, to be honest with you, uh, you know, the Star Wars writers can't win right now. You, you know, either you're, you're too derivative of what they've done in the past right. or you try something original and that's not good enough for some fans. Uh, it's just, it's really tough to win right now in Lucasfilm. <laughs> so let's just hope for the best. I, I enjoyed it and that's all I'm going to say on that. Uh, another thing I enjoyed about this so much is that JJ stressed that he wanted to return to practical sets and effects. Uh, of course, they used some CG, right. but they really got back to actually building sets, uh, creating a world that looked lived in for millennium and uh, I, I so successfully it was grungy it was dirty it was more of what we grew up looking and seeing from Star Wars right I mean it's interesting how it kind of made a full circle I mean that's how it all began and you know and I understand how um, you know George Lucas was trying to bring in more technology to improve the films but sometimes you got to realize that having you know and for the actors too, having some actual real sets around can really help them be able to be more in character and deliver a better product that way too right as rob has brought up many times on the show rob your thoughts on uh, how we kind of return to old school star wars with this one a little bit i it goes back to your earlier comment about how you know the the writers are in a bad spot because no matter what they do someone's going to take <laughs> exception with it and uh, you know again it's fan service right if they if they hit on any of the nostalgia points but i'll take fan service all day long i feel like rogue one you know it's been described as a love letter to the fans and we mm -hmm. talked about that right. and, uh, really enjoyed that film. So I don't ever have a problem with that. I, you know, I don't feel like it's just a straight rip off of any prior film. I think that they still did some different things with it. Um, and they opened a lot of doors for, you know, the next two episodes to go down if they so desired. And, um, you know, the, I don't put any of what happened in the, in the future films back on the force awakens. I thought, I think force awakens did exactly what it was supposed to, which was to set up the rest of the trilogy. All right. Completely agree with that. Completely. So let's get to the key scenes on this. We already talked about the trailer. Wow, the trailer was so good just leading into this film. Got us so excited for it. And we get to the film itself. Funny story about the first time we watched this film. We waited. This is the last time we actually didn't have reserved seats. We waited in line to get in the theater. I got there Loved really it. early. Actually, I sent my son down to go down there and, and wait, pulled our place in line. Then I showed up a little later once I got off work. We showed up a little later. We had a great time with fans out there, a lot dressed up. It was just so enjoyable but we finally get to this film the one thing I was really excited for was you know you get to the beginning and you know Lucasfilm Flash is a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and then the theme kicks in well our theater had a little problem <laughs> and then the sound was out so the first screening of it right. I missed that key moment and we were know. a little disappointed about that Michelle I know you remember right exactly so you know first of all going back to waiting outside which was really fun I mean I just remember um, the parking lot had to be roped off so that they could have all these lines mm -hmm. for every you know um, show that was going in so you had to look for the right time and which theater you're going into so that made it exciting and like you said um your son, I think he enjoyed going out there and waiting, but just the camaraderie being with mm -hmm. people and talking to people and, you know, suddenly a pizza would be delivered and everybody's sharing it. And mm -hmm. then suddenly somebody would go get some, you know, snacks over at another place and bring it over for everybody. And, and I think that's also what made this film for the first time be really fun seeing it, um, was having that experience ahead of time, mm -hmm. uh, it, while waiting among people, among fans. And so that was really, really fun. Mm -hmm. And like you said, that was getting in and seeing, missing out on that. 
um, first, you know, and, and it was also, you know, how is it going to be without the original traditional, you know, showing of 20th century Fox? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You that know? was the first time we didn't see that, that big fan. Right. So it's kind of right. like, how is it going to star? And, but yeah, not having the sound was like, oh. Yeah, it was a little bit of a bummer. But luckily for me, Michelle had to go to work the next day. I had the morning off from work the next day. And I had promised my son uh, that if he, you know, would let me, you know, if Michelle could go with me to the night one, we would go to the very first show the next morning. And so we went with him the next morning and got the the, the full process the next day. But uh, Rob, you're, you when you saw the film, what was your impression? Uh, what was your experience like going back and seeing a Star Wars film for the first time in several years? It was, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, I was nervous. Like I said, I mean, it was, uh, this is the first film, the first major Star Wars film that had come out uh, really in the modern internet age. You know, um, we talked a lot during the prequel, the prequel uh, episodes that, you know, it was a little bit of a different time. You had to kind of wait and there wasn't as much out there and it took a while to download it. And, um, you know, this one, there was so much about it out there. And I did stay basically completely spoiler free prior to this film. But, you know, I was just kind of nervous after the prequels and the fact that they kind of felt a little bit off for me. Uh, in the theater that, you know, I was, I was wondering if this was going to kind of fall more in line with the original trilogy films or whether it was going to be more like the prequels and what they were going to do with it. So, um, I was surprisingly, I almost felt numb, I guess, during the opening crawl. Uh, and then kind of, as I got started to get a feel for the new characters and everything, and I relaxed a little bit, then I started to enjoy it more. But, you know, I, in the later, uh, later viewings of the film in the theater, I didn't have that issue at all. But the first time was definitely kind of a, a strange star Wars experience for me. Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah, totally. definitely. yeah. Uh, so let's get again to these uh, key scenes. You know, we start off uh, going to a brand new planet, Jakku, although it looks similar to some other planets we've seen in the past in the Star Wars universe. Uh, and then we see this uh, First Order, you know, appear and, right. you know, uh, new stormtrooper outfits, you know, storming onto this planet and taking over. And uh, uh, Poe gives this map to BB-8 right. runoff, uh, you know, just an interesting scene. And we obviously saw right off the bat, like, hey, this group is vicious, you know, watch out for the First Order. They're not afraid to uh, to go out there and, and, right. and, and really do some damage and, you know, kill a lot of people. Yeah, really, really dark to begin mm-hmm. with, actually, and really kind of set uh, an interesting tone right from the start. Yeah, I think it just, you know, to show you, like, look, everything's not perfect. And I know we left Return of the Jedi right. and it seemed like, you know, everything was going in the right direction. Well, things have flipped a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Rob, your thoughts on the first uh, opening kind of scene of uh, The Force Awakens? Well, the Max von Sydow character, Laura Santeca, that gives Poe the map was a character that I wish would have stayed around longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the actor. I thought he uh, really just kind of added some gravity to that first scene right off the bat. And um, the fact that, you know, the first line of the film was him saying, you know, this will begin to make things right. Uh, there's a lot of people that feel like that was JJ Abrams kind of way of saying, you know, we're going to get star Wars back on track as well. So, uh, that was kind of cool. Uh, certainly the, the brutality of the first order and the fact that, you know, they just were just mowing down people right and left. Uh, and then you get that, uh, big entrance of Kylo Ren and the new force power that you've never seen before, where he's able to freeze that blaster mm-hmm. bolt, right. uh, midair. Um, and then the, the other thing I'll throw in, uh, it's kind of a, a little, uh, bit of a, an Easter egg there is that the stormtrooper that actually brings, um, Poe to Kylo Ren is Michael Giacchino. So mm-hmm. that was his cameo within the film. Heard of him. 
<laughs> heard of him. He's done some things. He's uh, done a couple. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff with J.J. Uh, Abrams. That's why J.J. Right. Abrams wanted to bring him in to uh, kind of just, you know, do this little cameo within the film. But interesting stuff. So uh, we go back to the ship. We see Finn is a troubled person, FN. 2187 at that point he hasn't been right. named finned yet but we see that he's having some issues struggling with the brutality he just saw on that planet and seeing uh someone he kind of went through uh, the academy i guess for lack of a better word for right. it uh you know die in front of him so uh you know interesting uh play right there you know immediately again i took a helmet off helmet on right. helmet off you see him stress you know struggling with this right. helmet off you know and yeah right. he runs into captain phasma and uh you know, tries to get him back in order, but right. uh, just an interesting quick scene there. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, Rob at all? Certainly Captain Phasma was someone that we knew a little bit about from the, you know, the, the information that was released before the film. And she was uh, Gwendolyn Christie is a very imposing character in armor. It worked for her in game of Thrones and certainly worked here <laughs> mm-hmm. as well. Um, but Again, you, right from that first scene where Poe gets taken uh, prisoner and he kind of has his snippy little remarks for Kylo yeah. Ren and he continues that through the questioning and uh, you get all of this, um, the suspense that's built up from the scene you were talking about with uh, with FN2187, you know, being caught with his helmet off and told to, you know, report to her division for reconditioning and everything. And uh, it just set up the, the escape that was to follow, um, which again, was funny and uh, suspenseful at the same time. Right. Before we get to the escape, we meet Ray, uh, who is, uh, you know, an interesting to see, you know, first she's masked, you know, we don't really know much about her, but she's obviously skilled at doing what she's doing and uh, scrap, you know, obviously it's a junkyard of a planet, just kind of scrapping her way through it, just kind of getting by, surviving. And uh, I, you know, I just found her fascinating right from from moment one of what she's going through and what her story is. Yeah. I mean, right from the start. And and of course we've talked about this in other episodes, how the music really kind of draws you into the scene. And, and I think the music that started right with her, you know, gave you some sense of who she was, even though you're not, you don't know a lot of details. You kind of got a sense of who that person was. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, yeah, here's the scene, no dialogue, but you're really starting to, uh, get an essence of somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, any thoughts? Uh, she was a great uh, protagonist for this particular film. And again, it goes back to this whole thing of this. Uh, it, she wasn't quite uh, the orphan that Luke was um, in the sense that, you know, he was being raised by extended family, but she's just been completely abandoned and left to fend for herself. And you really get a feeling for the kind of isolation she generally lives her life in. And that's kind of tied into her theme music. Um so it's, you know, you just want to know her backstory. You want to know where she's going to go. Uh, when I saw that staff, you know, it was assumed that she was going to be kind of the force user in this mm-hmm. series. I was wondering if we were going to actually get to see a light side force user with a, you know, double bladed lightsaber staff, um, which still hasn't happened. I, I'll be disappointed if we don't see that at all. But, uh, you know, she was, she was a very captivating character. And I think someone who has, carried that mantle of being you know the the lead force user in this particular 
uh, sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, just when she's putting the tick mark and you're seeing that and then how it pans out and you see how many, how many yeah, that was a very powerful, I thought, scene to show. Kind wow, of alone this, for yeah, all that time. Right, right. Um, almost in a prison in a, a different way. You yeah. know, obviously able to move around, do whatever she wants, but right. almost in a, a, a different type of prison. Exactly. So. Well, you don't even know if, if she ended up giving herself her name. I mean, uh, the helmet that she puts on while she's sitting out there has the name Ray on it. It's spelled a little differently, R-H-E-A. But, um, you know, is that just a, a little nod to people who are deciphering Orabesh? Or is this something where, you know, she she had no name when she was dumped on that planet and she just basically took on that name for herself? Right. Did you just hear that? That was Rob suddenly bragging about how he can read Orabesh. It's not bragging. <laughs> no, I think it's awesome because we it's get little nuggets up. like that by doing by your ability to do that. <laughs> All right. Jedi Fallen Order has been a lot more fun because I can read the signs. So. <laughs> well, we'll I can't wait to hear all you have to say about that when we talk right. about that at some other point. But uh, definitely, that's uh, it's really cool. And I, I, I'm uh, slightly jealous. I, I haven't <laughs> want, been willing to put in the work to read Arobesh, but I am slightly jealous of your ability to do that. I think it's fantastic anyway. So. Uh, so we move on. Finn and Poe meet. Uh, of course, Finn helps. Uh, Poe escape. Uh, Poe gives Finn his name. Uh, we see this scene, this trying to escape from this hangar and a you know a, a new Tie Fighter, new style Tie Fighter, and the battle and uh, just a, a fascinating and exciting scene. Uh, I don't know what you think, Michelle. Oh yeah, I mean, first of all, again they bring in some of the light comedy in their their banter together, um, but really you know then move forward with a purpose, obviously, which was good. Um, and I don't know if you want me to jump to this, but I mean, just the, the scene once they did finally get shot down, it was like, really? This friendship just kind of started. It's done? <laughs> it was quick. Wow. Uh, Rob, Finn and Poe, what are your thoughts? Uh, I loved their escape, the escape sequence from, uh, from the Dreadnought or the, the uh, Star Destroyer. Um, I thought it was funny how, you know, when, when Finn is initially taking him through the halls of the Star Destroyer and he kind of pulls him into that little uh, niche on the side and, uh, you know, he's basically telling him, I'm, I'm, free, I'm breaking you free and Poe figures out pretty quickly. He just needs a pilot to get right. off the <laughs> ship. So, um, that was great. Uh, you know, the whole thing about them trying to steal the TIE fighter. It was interesting because, you know, this was, again, this is an, a new sequel trilogy. Um, it doesn't necessarily tie back and it was the first one that had been put out since Disney had taken taken over Star Wars and in old Star Wars canon the reason that the tie pilots had on all the gear and the hoses and everything was because there was no life support inside those tie fighters so right away I'm like how are they in the tie fighter out in open space with you know no gear on they right. they die and so again it was you know part of the first order right they've got life support on their tie fighters and it was kind of uh uh, kind of having to reacquaint myself with all the, all this equipment that looked so familiar, but kind of operated on different rules. Right. I yeah. mean, well, the whole first order operates on different rules. And I think the fact that, uh, you know, it's been joked about so many times how, you know, stormtroopers can't hit anything, right. you know, the, the original <laughs> Imperial stormtroopers, but that obviously wasn't completely the case with first order stormtroopers. They were much more efficient. They were trained better. I, I think what, what we found with the empire and with the emperor and general is that he wanted mass he just wanted more just the intimidation of having more they didn't need to necessarily be great at what they did they just had a lot of them whereas i think the first order uh went with yes more polished more pristine more 
beautiful ships, more right. strong, more strength, and also they needed this group to be uh, to be able to you know try and uh, take over again its dominance of the the galaxy. It needed to be more precise and better able to do their jobs. Sure. So, Rob, I don't know your thoughts on that. No, I completely agree. I mean, they clearly you know they like bigger and more powerful, but they also. Uh, you know, we're adding that additional quality. Some of the the ties had shields and they had hyperdrives and they had life support on them. And, you know, then the fact that the tie pilots were wearing the gear on top of that was just in case they had a hull breach or whatever. And, um, you know, they had different levels of some of these ships too. So I think they were saying that was like a special forces tie, which had some of the more advanced technology on it. But, um, you know, and you see that kind of throughout the film, everything is, everything is just, they've taken it to 11. Yeah. <laughs> this one goes to eleven. Nice. Um, moving on, we get to That's we funny. get to. Uh, we obviously, they crash land at Jakku. We lose Poe. Uh, Finn, you know, struggles, gets across the desert, meets Ray, and you know, such an interesting scene that uh, Finn is, you know, sees Ray in trouble, uh, and you know, Finn tries to rush in and help, and realizes. Oh, she can kind of handle herself. And I think right. that's kind of one of the things that was interesting is like, you know, hey, this this is a strong protagonist uh, female who doesn't need a man to save her. Right. Yeah. And actually, he's relying on her to get him off the planet. So. Right. <laughs> exactly. Rob, your thoughts? Stop holding my head. Yeah, <laughs> Again, and that, that was the great thing about this film. It was that kind of comedy and it never felt forced. It was just, you know, kind of funny within the middle of a, a very stressful moment. And it, it just, it worked for me uh, all throughout this film. Uh, now, in regards to, you know, that whole sequence, one of the things that always cracks me up is uh, when Finn pulls uh, Poe's jacket out of the TIE fighter that's, you know, sitting there on fire and he takes a step back and then they cut to another shot and he's like 15 feet away <laughs> and the true. TIE fighter gets sucked down into the ground and then they cut back to Finn and he's like 30 feet away and the <laughs> thing blows up. It was just, uh, there's some like strange continuity things in some of those scenes that once you see him, again, it's right back to that, you can't unsee him, but yeah, right. um, it doesn't really it doesn't really impact the the viewing of the film at all. Uh, going back to that uh, scene with Ray and Finn, one of the parts of it that I found, I continuously find funny besides the, you know, quit holding my hand line is when Finn kind of gets knocked out and then he wakes up and asks Ray if she's okay. And he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like he's lost his mind, right? right? What are you talking about? Uh, and the garbage and the garbage will do, right? Right. Yes. Right. Well, we're just going to talk about that. So, yes, the escape from Jakku. Uh, they're heading for another ship, you know, because that one's garbage. Uh, that one gets blown up. We pan over, and they're heading to the garbage, which is the Millennium Falcon. And I don't know about you guys in your theater. I know Michelle was with me, so it was the same. But Rob, uh, the crowd erupted on first screening mm -hmm. of that because the Millennium Falcon. Let's face it, is a character. Uh, unto itself uh, so it was just so great to see the millennium falcon again rob yeah and and they play that uh you know that music that you remember mm -hmm. from the the escape of the millennium falcon from the death star where the ties are chasing them and uh it's just got that you know and that gets my blood pumping every time mm -hmm. i hear it uh so that coupled with you know finally getting the reveal of the millennium falcon and the fact that you realize that you know they're going to get on board this thing and we're actually going to get to see some of those scenes we'd seen in the trailer uh was pretty exciting mm -hmm. yeah agreed uh great battle scene above jakku mm -hmm. uh we get to see so many different throwbacks within the millennium falcon 
Balkan itself too. You know, it's just so much nostalgia right. being part of that. Uh, eventually, they do get away and they are captured by this giant ship, kind of engulfed by this giant ship. And who should be on it? But yes. Han and Chewie, the force works in mysterious ways. Uh, but, you know, just so good to see them. That is the, you know, Chewie were home scene. Right, right. And it was a brilliantly done scene. And, um, well, even, you know, some just before that, too, we were the, re- trying to repair the ship and fixing mm-hmm. it and stuff was fun, too. So, it, you know, I kind of look at that whole sequence as really being touching. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, Rob, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, even before they get captured, quote unquote, by the First Order, or at least that's what Finn thinks is happening. <laughs> there were so many cool little, um, you know, treats, I guess, in there or Easter eggs in there for fans of the original trilogy where he finds the the training remote uh, that Luke had used in A New Hope. And uh, as they're trying to fix the uh, the gas leak or actually right before Han Solo boards and uh, they pull the gas masks right off of where uh, Han and Leia had left them on that little board right. uh, kind of near the entrance. And, and there's just so many things. Uh, and, you know, then later on we get into a few more. But uh, there's just so many cool little things. I always say that a good Star Wars movie is kind of like an onion because depending on what your level of Star Wars knowledge right. is, you can find more and more fun things uh, to pull out of each scene. Sure. But, it, you know, if, if you don't know anything, it's still a fun movie to watch. But right. the more you're you uh, the more you aware of, the more enjoyment you can get out of those films. And the more enjoyment you get on rewatches. As right. You still yeah. pick out yeah. things that you, you've, you've watched the film 17 times and you're still picking out yep. things. You know, it's it's... Uh, that's one of the things I, I do love about Star Wars for sure. So, uh, of course, Han is still in his, you know, <laughs> trying to talk his way out of situations. We have a couple of rival gangs that he runs into that are still trying to get the money he owes them. Uh, you know, and then we we've, we've run into some very interesting <laughs> and crazy creatures that uh, no thank you. Although I understand your wife, Kim, Rob, is really, really wants one of those bring one of those creatures home she does she wants a rat thar. yeah <laughs> which is a mystery in and of itself that we're like hmm, i wonder what what made her even want that how did that conversation <laughs> begin you know what i just woke up and i really feel like i want a rat tar. she uh she is one of those people who was totally surprised on her visit to galaxy's edge by just how much merchandise they had there that you know we're not we go to disney quite a bit and we uh, are generally not people who buy a lot in the shops or whatever but there was a lot of fun stuff back in galaxy's edge and uh, certainly the the creature shop is one of the places where she she's like oh, i don't know <laughs> so good yep. yeah interesting uh but yes a rath tar why not the perfect pets yeah perfect. <laughs> i don't know apparently if you play you know certain video games those things are hard to destroy <laughs> even as lego creatures it's <laughs> true even as lego creatures <laughs> Uh, so eventually they do get in the Falcon. They get away. They head off to this planet, this new planet, very foresty, very watery, uh, Takodana. And uh, that's where we get to Maz's castle. And that's basically we get to the cantina scene of this mm-hmm. film, uh, looking through Maz's castle. And we meet Maz, and she's spectacular. And I love Maz so much. Interesting things, a lot of interesting conversations happening there, some things that may play into the future. But especially the biggest thing that happens in that is Ray kind of good down into the catacombs right. of the castle stumbling across Luke's old lightsaber touching it and getting this force vision for lack of a better word and uh, uh, or better phrase and just 
uh, just a really interesting scene, a lot to take in. And still to this day, well, you, you can pick it apart and try right. and figure out uh, what has played in it so far in the films and what might play into it in the future. Right. I mean, even now going back, you know, having rewatched the film for today's episode, um, it's still so many questions it leads, you know, but it's riveting. And then you look at something like, oh, wait, is that something? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and it's they've really done a great job with that scene to draw you in for, you know, a lot of interest in what's going on and the whys of things happening and what is real, what might not be. And uh, this really a wonderful scene, I think, altogether. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Rob, your thoughts? No, uh, I can still probably watch that scene <laughs> again and pick new things out of it. I, I love that there are some kind of audio cameos from the original uh, Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and then there's a little bit in there from uh, Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi, and there's something in there from Yoda, and um, it's just... And then the, the visuals again, uh, there's a lot of questions about the Knights of Ren that I feel like we still need to have answered. Mm-hmm. It sounds like we may get some of that in this next film. Um, but again, J.J. Uh, Abrams is great at raising questions. I'm just hoping that uh, that we get some closure to some of them and, and maybe the rest of them in other content. Right. Yeah, agreed on that. Uh, looking forward to finding out so much here in just over a month for sure. Uh, so the First Order... You know, are alerted to their presence on the planet. They come, uh, try and get the droid, uh, capture Kylo Ren, captures Ray, uh, takes her back to the Star Destroyer, and then we see an interesting interplay, uh, really between Ray and and Kylo Ren. And you know, you could sense with Ray. Um, her kind of getting this idea, you know, especially after what Maz has said to her mm-hmm. on the castle and realizing that maybe she is in touch with the force and maybe has known a little bit of that all along or without really knowing what the force was. Mm-hmm. And uh, just just a really interesting scene between the two of them where she kind of uh, turns it around on, on Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren. Yeah, I mean, she shows her, her strength for sure. I mean, she, you know, she's not going to be intimidated by him. Um, you know, she's going to, obviously there's a struggle at first, but, um, you know, with him trying to read her thoughts and things, but, you know, like you said, she turns it around on him and where she's then touching into his vulnerabilities and what things really are making him not be feeling either strong or satisfied with the way things are going in his life. Mm-hmm. Rob, your thoughts? Um, I think that scene is interesting in the sense that it may either indicate that there was a force link between the two of them prior to that scene, or maybe it actually occurs during that scene. But, um, you know, he is pulling memories out of her mind about some of the things she sees when she dreams. And, and it's very, uh, very heavily hinted that basically what she's seeing is that is that island in the in the ocean where she finds Luke later on in the film. But uh, and there's questions about how that you know how that was something that she had seen most likely through the Force. But um, you know the fact that she is then able to he's opening this this channel to her mind and she's able to kind of use the Force to kind of feedback and and get information from him as well. Um, raises some interesting questions when we get into the next film. Mm-hmm. Right, for sure. Right. So uh, we also get the uh, reunification of Han and Leia and kind of find out that, you know, some of the troubles that they've had, but it was good to see the two of them back together uh, as they uh, get to the resistance base where uh, she is now General Leia, as a matter of fact. Right. Um, so uh, just an interesting 
time to see the two of them together and a little bit discussion of uh, how they lost their son, um, Ben Solo, right. Kylo Ren. And uh, I don't know. I, I was just, it just still warms my heart to see the two of them together. Right. I mean, yeah, just talking about being a fan of Star Wars, it is great to see the two of them you know, back on the screen together. Um, and in terms of this storyline, I mean, it was super believable because, you know, one may even question, would it have been believable that they would live happily ever after mm. together, you know, after, you know, when they first got together as they were younger. And so this made sense more that they both still um, loved each other, but they had different directions that they wanted their lives to go into and or what, you know, were their passions and so it it made sense coming out like that on the screen yeah i I completely agree with that family issues too we Mm -hmm. i mean we can all relate to family issues um you know uh, can drive a you know a couple apart uh, you know even if they still love each other but uh uh, just you know interesting that hey it's star wars but you know there's real life that gets into star wars rob your thoughts on han and leia's uh, reunification no i was just gonna say exactly what you said i mean uh, you know they both had you know her her personality was always that she was dedicated to a cause or a planet or a, you know, she, she wanted to dedicate herself to something bigger. He was just kind of more, uh, someone who had wanderlust and, uh, was kind of floating around untethered through the galaxy. And so really when they undergo the trauma of losing their son, Ben to the dark side, I mean, as you said, it's, it's very common for families to break apart under that kind of strain. And they both kind of went back to what was comfortable for them. Uh, you know, she took on the cause of the resistance and he went back to smuggling and, uh, I thought it was completely believable. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, agreed on that. Uh, actually it was one of the more well-written concepts within star sure. Wars, completely uh, relatable for many, many reasons. So, uh, eventually we find out about star killer base. This mm-hmm. exi- you know, they, you know, we've seen not just one, system destroyed but many systems right. destroyed by this uh and by the way i i know i'm backtracking a little bit but the the speech by general hux still <laughs> is one of the best things in star wars you know it just so you know back to you know you you want to talk about you know the nazis right. or whatever it just is so authoritarian and it, it is it, it is a perfect scene in many right. regards right absolutely and it you know it really shows the uh, well, I, I guess I can't say it better than you did. It It, it is that parallel with the Nazis, and you, it was amazing to see mm-hmm. that, you know. Yeah. Uh, Rob, thoughts on that? It's my one of my uh, – it probably is her favorite scene in this movie for sure. Not that she's a Nazi or anything, but um, – <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Oh, but, <laughs> no, she just she loves Hux because he's just you know he is just that fanatical you know lunatic, right. uh, you know just completely believes in the cause and uh, and he really just knocks that particular scene out of the mm-hmm. park. I mean, is just you know his eyes in that scene spittle it's flying, like he's yeah. just high on power. Right, he will bow to the first order. <laughs> Yeah, so good. Uh, that scene is 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 great, right. and uh, you know they replayed it in a different form in the Star Wars Resistance, and it still was great played in that yes. as well. By the way, the animated series, uh, but really interesting stuff. So uh, eventually, they decide, okay, we need to get to Star Killer Base before this thing, you know, destroys more systems. Mm-hmm. Finn thinks he knows a way, even though I know Rob will talk about how a janitor knows his way <laughs> into know. these things. Uh, but uh, you know the. And, you know, obviously we have another kind of attack on a 
a planet killing uh, super weapon essentially. And, uh, but just a little bit more kind of, obviously we got a little bit of return of the Jedi with Luke being in the death star, but right. this is a little bit more at home with, you know, them trying to plant some things to break the shields down so right. they can get in uh, to this space and be able to destroy it. Uh, and then that leads to the the biggest scene in the entire film, which we're going to spoil here if you haven't seen it, but I'm sorry, it's 2015, <laughs> but uh, Han's face-off with his son, right. Ben Solo, and uh, trying to lead him back home and uh, becomes a, a, a devastating cost. Right, you know, and I, um, you know, again, in preparation for today's show, you know, really watched uh, like a mini documentary about those actors and how much it took for them to actually pull that scene off that it was just so utterly emotional for them anyways but then to have to get into those characters to actually carry that out was uh you know definitely not a burden in the bad you know bad sense but just it was difficult it was Mm -hmm. a big challenge yeah no question about that rob your thoughts uh that is my favorite scene in the entire film cinematically it's genius um there's so many layers to what's going on i mean you've got star killer base which gains its power by you know sucking the energy out of a sun so it's like you know um consuming the light and that is all taking place kind of in the background while han and Kylo Ren are having their confrontation out on the catwalk. And, uh, while the sun is slowly being drained and Han is standing there talking to Kylo, you've got uh, kind of blue light on one shoulder and then red light on the other. So it's kind of the balance between the light and the dark. And they're having that conversation and it seems like Han Solo is kind of getting through to him. But during their conversation, uh, the, the, the sun is drained completely and darkness kind of falls. The light goes away. The red takes over the entire backdrop of, of where Kylo is standing. Uh, and that's when he ignites the lightsaber and, and kills Han Solo. So there's, you know, this visual interplay of all these different elements that goes into that entire scene. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's brilliant. As a matter of fact, it's one of the few uh, scenes that JJ decided to shoot basically the entire thing on a green screen because he wasn't sure of how he wanted this to the background and everything to exactly play out but uh his decision to create it the way it did and for it to play out like you said rob uh you know so visually uh stunning in in a way that it it really was a magnificent and appropriate scene for something that harrison ford honestly was was saying should happen for a long time and that is han solo's presumed death right right yeah i mean he he actually thought that should have happened earlier on but Mm -hmm. you know the fact that he felt like it it, his death played a purpose it Mm -hmm. wasn't just a character dying on this on the screen Mm -hmm. yes for sure i do know what you're saying tom i i we could do an entire episode on how the guaranteed way to ensure someone's not dead in star wars is by having them fall into a pit (laughs) that's a question as we're finding out possibly could be in the rise of skywalker yep yep uh so uh, and then chewy goes nuts he just lost his best friend uh you know starts blasting away hits kylo uh, with a blaster bolt, as right. a matter of fact, uh, ends up just blowing the place. And is not even thinking about trying to get out, just blowing the place up. Uh, they found a way to get in. They, the, the, uh, the fighters that are right. having struggles to blow the place up, they, they are able to, uh, hit the core, uh, start the chain reaction that will destroy star killer base. Meanwhile, Kylo Finn and Ray are off in this forest in their own battle. 
Uh, and uh, wow, another great visual moment with the forest and the right. snow, snow and the difference of the lighting of the lightsabers. Uh, again, uh, just another visually stunning scene. I think you'll agree, Michelle. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that really, again, showed, highlighted um, JJ's way to tell a story uh, very visually, too, like you're saying, and really connect with the audience from like, wow, this is this really happening? And you could, it, it just really, I, I, I'm not very good at words apparently today, but you know, I, Welcome I don't know. To my world. <laughs> just really exciting to see, um, you know, how the light plays off and how it has meaning in each of those things that are happening on the screen. Agreed. Rob, your thoughts on that climactic battle? Well, first I'll, I'll say that I'm right there with Michelle. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> talking and there's a microphone in the immediate vicinity can be very hard. It's I'm, a good thing I'm we like, all have a podcast right. since, you know, we obviously are so good at using words We're not right. Post-production. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, it was a great scene. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate about how Ray could have bested Kylo. Um, and, in some cases, you know, people say, well, Kylo was wounded, but he's also you, you, with him pounding on his wound. I mean, pain and fear leading to to power uh, and the dark side is kind of what he was doing. He was enhancing his pain and using that to feed off of. So it's not so much that he was weakened. It was that she was uh, she had kind of come into her own power within that scene, I feel. And um, the fact that she was able to kind of win the force tug of war for the lightsaber in that particular situation was, uh, was no small feat on her part. So, um, it was, uh, it was definitely interesting and there's kind of a question about whether she was straying a little bit toward the dark side in that battle as well. Mm-hmm. And kind of, uh, being very aggressive and, and kind of, uh, the question is what would have happened had the planet not split apart and created that chasm between them. Cause she looked like she was ready to go in for the kill. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, we're going to, and we'll talk about this more in the last Jedi when we're talking about in the next episode as well. And possibly after the rise of Skywalker, we'll see. But I think Ray is always teetering a little bit on the dark side. I think just the fact that she, when they, we, the scene we talked about earlier where Kylo is going into her mind and she goes back into his mind, right. uh, is approaching a little bit of that as well. Uh, I think she's always kind of in this gray area between the, the two of them. And I, and I'll say it all along and I, I, that I don't mind that. I don't, I don't think everybody, I, you, when it comes down to it, you should be more on the light side as a person, but shades of gray are out there. No one is a perfect person. And that is part of the problem with the Jedi order to begin with that you need to not be afraid to, as long as it doesn't consume you, uh, be able to use some of these dark attributes or at least tap into it every once in a while. Right. I mean, it obviously it played a way to help, protect her when she was you know when he was trying to get into her mind that she was able to cease that from happening um but like you know you said rob what would have happened if that chasm hadn't occurred Mm -hmm. you know and if she had defeated him what could have happened Mm -hmm. you know what would have been her character at that point the force works in mysterious ways (laughs) rob any thoughts uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with your point. We've talked about this before about the fact that, um, I don't know that being a light character necessarily means that you completely are devoid of emotion. I think, mm-hmm. uh, that you have to be able to, to embrace and to, um, 
to channel your emotions, I guess, in a positive way. So it, it really does come down to intent, I guess, and, and really what you're doing. If you're trying to use it for control or domination, that's one thing. But um, if you're actually channeling it into something that's going to save lives or um, spare the galaxy mm-hmm. from some you know, some huge disaster, uh, then it's that gray area you're talking about. And Mm -hmm, it would be kind of fun to explore a little bit more of that within star Wars. Definitely. I, I, I personally, I just don't have a problem with, and I think it's, you know, that's who we are. Everybody is flawed. Right. Uh, you're going to have to delve into some darker sides at some point, as long as you remain on the light side for the majority of it. I have no issue with someone delving into this gray area within the force personally. I, uh, yeah, I do just want to say one thing real quick. Cause I mean, and, and for anyone who's kind of on the fence about that, I mean, if you look back at, uh, revenge of the Sith, you know, the only person to date who's gotten, uh, the better of Palpatine in a one-on-one battle has been Mace Windu and in that lightsaber style that he used is called, called the pod. And it very much relies on channeling your emotions and it strays really close to the dark side. Um, but I don't think anyone would ever say that Mace Windu was an evil character or, right. uh, dark Jedi or anything like that. So, um, I think that's a great example of how, you know, we look at the fact that Ray uh, has a lot of similarities in that regard. And um, if she does turn out to be the one who ultimately is able to defeat Palpatine, um, it's probably going to be because she is able to to use her emotions uh, and and avoid going uh, to the dark side and, and doing something for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. Completely agree with that. Uh, completely agree. So uh, obviously they, they survive, they get away. Uh, Starkiller base is destroyed, uh, and they find the piece, the final, they're able to put the final piece into the map for, to find where, what what really is, it's not a map to actually Luke. It's a map to the first Jedi temple is what it is. Uh, and so they, they put it together, Chewie along with R2 and, uh, Ray go off on the Millennium Falcon to find Luke. They get to Octo stumble across him she reaches out with the light with his original lightsaber and that's where the film ends right. on a cliffhanger <laughs> and now we're excited when's the next film coming out it's in two years uh but uh, i just think that this film was really really well done it was in a, a heck of a ride right. exactly what i was looking for to get back into star wars and i know that there were some people that again had problem with it being too nostalgic too derivative but it, it was what i wanted and i know we've already talked about that but i, I think you'd agree Michelle. right yeah i agree and i don't know that i could add too much to that i um again with that last scene with music how that played into it because there wasn't a dialogue and how important that music was to really understand the emotions both parties were going through. Mm -hmm. Rob, any thoughts on the closing of the film? Uh, I will say that there were a couple of kind of important things that happened there that I don't know get talked a lot about. And the first was that, you know, you see R2 earlier in the film and he's kind of supposedly in low power mode and uh, isn't really interacting with anyone. Well, my theory is that he was basically... Uh, kind of monitoring the first order in the hopes of getting the remainder of that map because they said they had ret- retrieved it from the archives of 
the Empire. And when he comes back is right after the destruction of Starkiller Base. So they would have been transmitting their files, you know, off the base to make sure that they maintain that information. Mm -hmm. And um, my theory is that that's how he gets the remainder of the map. And the reason that the map was so important was because Octo is actually in the unknown regions. It's kind of an uncharted area of space. And only only the Empire really had uh, charts of some of that from their interaction with Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, which all that information you can learn more about on, on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, which we talk about. <laughs> plug, plug, but, plug. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I mean, it was, it's very interesting uh, that, you know, Luke had gone to this place where supposedly no one was going to be able to find him. And, and it really is the process of putting these two pieces of the map together that leads them there. And the scene with Ray, you know, reaching out the saber to Luke and basically her plea for him to train her. Um, I love the ending of that film. Um, I was so excited to see where they were going to take that. And uh, we'll get into more of that. Yes, we, we will. <laughs> no, we will. <laughs> so obviously we all love this film. So do the critics for that matter. Uh, Force Awakens received overwhelmingly positive reviews from uh, critics, according to Rotten Tomatoes, it, it was a 93% approval rating based on 418 reviews with an average rating of 8.26 out of 10. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's actually one of the best of all the Star Wars right. films as far as uh, the critically reviews. Uh, Robbie Collin of the Daily Telegraph gave The Force Awakens five stars out of five and wrote, that it, quote, sets out to shake Star Wars from its slumber and reconnect the series with its much pined for past. And that that it achieves this both immediately and joyously is perhaps the single greatest relief of the movie going year, end quote. Richard Roper from the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film four stars out of four, describing it as a beautiful, thrilling joyous surprising and heart-thumping adventure i think we'd both we'd all agree with totally. with everything that's said there as far as box office well uh, it crushed at the box office it made a record-breaking 57 million dollars from thursday night previews of which imax screenings generated a record-breaking 5.7 million dollars from 391 screens on its opening day the film grossed 119.1 million dollars marking the biggest single and opening day record and and the first time a film earned more than $100 million in a single day. Uh, the Force Awakens crossed the $1 billion mark on the 12th day of its general release. That happened to be the day after Christmas, December 26, 2015, making it the fastest film to reach that mark at that time. And on January 2nd, after just 16 days of release, it became the second film following Avatar to gross over $700 million in North America. And on January 6th, became the highest grossing film of all time domestically, doing so in 20 days. Uh, by January 8th, it became the highest grossing film of, it, of all time in the United Kingdom and Ireland after only 22 days of release. On January 9th, it became the first film of cinematic history to cross $800 million domestically. Uh, and uh, overall, it, 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 like I said, it's, it's the fourth highest grossing film it uh, suffers a little bit just because China really has not embraced Star Wars right. completely, whereas some films like Avatar and they make a lot of money and right. made a lot of money in China. Uh, it still ranks fourth all time. At, uh, it made $2.068 billion, uh, and that ranks fourth behind, of course, now Avengers Endgame, right. Avatar, and Titanic. So just a smash hit, loved by critics, obviously loved at the box office. Uh, obviously, some fans had some struggles with it, but uh, overall, just an overall 
overwhelming success. Yeah, and it's, you know, I mean, no surprise. I mean, as as fans of Star Wars, we loved it, and we can understand why, you know, other Star Wars fans would have really, you know, rallied to see this film. Mm-hmm. Rob. So, no surprise. Rob, any thoughts on the critical acclaim and the uh, box office? Uh, I mean, it's all totally in line with what I would have expected based on the film that I saw and, and what I felt about it. Um, again, I, I, anytime you're working in an established universe, it's, it's really touchy because you kind of have to toe the line in terms of, uh, adhering to the, the quote unquote rules of that universe. Um, but you know, I thought they did a great job. They introduced some new locations. They introduced a whole bunch of new characters, um, and still, uh, you know, had stories for the characters that we were familiar with that I thought were consistent um, with what we would have expected based on what we'd seen previously. Mm, completely agree. So let's get to a few fun facts. So Michelle, do you have any fun facts for this? It's actually uh, something when I was researching for this episode, I heard an interview with John Williams and he was describing how he approached that last segment of the movie and to make the music for that. And so what he, he explained was that as Ray was climbing the mountain, he started it as a very soft song and then it built as she got closer to the top. And then as she extended her arm out with Luke's lightsaber, then he linked in the Star Wars lightsaber song from the original trilogy, you know, and then had the reveal of Luke and then went quickly into, you know, that iconic ending music. And I just thought it was brilliant how he really had so much thought to every little detail of that very short segment that, you know, I, I, I know everybody's emotions were looking at what was going to happen at, at that moment. Um, but we, as we've talked about before, music plays such a big mm-hmm. impact on how the emotions of the moment are. But I just thought that was an interesting fact that he described that process. Yeah, we've seen uh, so much from these Star Wars films of, of John Williams playing such a big part in them and the music playing such a big part. And that includes also with like Rogue One and Michael Giacchino and right. what he did. Uh, the music is just such a big uh, part of the Star Wars universe and help developing the mo- emotion of the scenes and the situations as they are. Right. So. Uh, thanks. That's a great fun fact. Uh, Rob, you have any fun facts for us? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple. <laughs> um, so FN2187, the Finn character, when we meet him early on, he goes by his operating number, his stormtrooper number. That 2187 was actually the cell block where Leia was being held in A New Hope. Uh. So um, that's a callback to the original mm-hmm. film. Uh, we had James Bond, a.k.a. Daniel Craig, uh, also did a Stormtrooper cameo uh, in the scene where Rey is kind of uh, strapped to that board for for interrogation and she uses the Jedi mind trick on the Stormtrooper. That's actually Daniel Craig. And if you listen, you can definitely tell it's his voice. Um, We had Simon Pegg, who's a huge Star Wars fan. He was the guy who played Unkar Plutt. So it's just a, a testament to how big a fan he was that he was willing to be in that big, you know, padded suit right. in the Tunisia desert <laughs> filming those scenes. Yeah. I, yeah. I love star Wars. I don't know that I would have been willing to bake in that thing. Right. I've, yeah, that, uh, I've struggled being in my own padded suit in that <laughs> desert. Yeah. This is my body. Pad, so, right. My padded room, whatever. 
Um, and then some of the, one of the things that is really consistent across Star Wars going all the way back is that there's a lot of conceptual artwork that was done by Ralph McQuarrie, who most of the images that, that you think are iconic about Star Wars came through him in most cases. And, uh, both Ray's outfit and that arch on Jakku that gets destroyed by the Falcon when it takes off were both from conceptual drawings that he had done for the original Star Wars mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. So some great nods back to him. And then also another tie back to the original Star Wars film was that uh, the name Starkiller Base uh, was mm-hmm. essentially borrowed from the original last name for Luke's character in episode four, which was Luke Starkiller. Mm-hmm. So um, there's some great tie backs, uh, you know, kind of respect paid to uh, some of the things that were kind of come up with and then and then not used for the original Star Wars. And the only other thing I'll point out is that when Finn leans on the Dejarc table and the Falcon, the hollow chest table, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, the image of the characters is essentially right, right. where Chewbacca and R2 had left their game uh, in the original Star Wars film as well. Yeah, such a classic throwback right. that, that you know, just a little subtle thing and it just flashes for a brief second. But uh, it is funny yes. that it's right in the exact same position. I just have a couple fun facts that I've got from the internet and you know everything on the internet is true. So, you know, <laughs> take that as this is uh, gospel uh, when I talk about these fun facts. Uh, first off, uh, Maz Kanata apparently uh, allegedly at one point had a fight scene uh, within this film. Uh, it was shot, but ultimately cut from the film and involved her using force powers to collapse the ceiling above some oncoming stormtroopers. Now she talks about, I'm, you know, I'm no Jedi, but I know the force. Right. Interesting that yeah. if she may have some force abilities, will we see some of that play out sure. in the rise of Skywalker? That'd be uh, curious. And one other note that I just want to throw in there from that. I, read up on and that is maybe for anybody out there that wants to still believe that Ray is maybe a solo possibly that she may be related to Han uh, early on in the development process the character of Ray was actually known as Kira spelled differently but Han's love interest in solo of course was Kira just throwing that little nugget out there and reading again it's taken from the internet so it's right. got to be true right <laughs> uh just i just i just kind of found that fascinating i don't know if i believe that she's a solo but i just found that a little fascinating tidbit right cool <laughs> cool <laughs> so finally let, let's wrap it up any closing uh comments any closing thoughts that uh, either of you have on this film uh, rob I would highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it, despite the fact that we probably spoiled most of it in this episode. um, Still totally worth seeing. Uh, And I'm just very hopeful that a lot of the things that J.J. had done in this film that were very positive and very well received um, are similar to to what gets done in The Rise of Skywalker. I'm still looking forward to going and seeing it and seeing how they wrap up the Skywalker saga. Mm -hmm. I agreed with that. Um, I just think that this film returned so much joy to the Star Wars community for the most part. However, it also did lead to you know that dark side starting to show itself in the star wars <laughs> fandom which we saw increase a little bit more and we i'm sure we'll talk about that as we get to our next episode of star wars remembered we'll move into episode eight right. in a, about a month's time right about a week before uh, the rise of skywalker wow. come out of yep. course the last jedi we'll be talking about that and i have a feeling i'm gonna be on a little bit of an island on that <laughs> one uh so i'm not really looking forward to that but we'll see how that one goes so 
Uh, Rob, thanks again for joining us again. You always bring the meat yes. to these Star Wars Remembered episodes. Uh, please tell everyone how people can find the Jedi Temple Archives podcast and follow you on social media as well. Yeah, you can find our podcast, uh, the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, on our website, uh, jtapodcast.com. And that has all of our episodes. We're up to, uh, I think we have episode 35 coming out this week. And um, we basically put out a new episode every week. So uh, look for us there. And if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can get us at v, uh, um, via email at jtapodcast at gmail.com. And you can also get us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA Podcast. And we always uh, love getting new listeners uh, if you guys have any ideas for future shows, don't hesitate to reach out. And we love interacting with people typically on Twitter is where you can most easily find us. Mm -hmm. It's a great show. He's a great follow on social media. Right. Follow the Jedi Tenable Archives podcast. Subscribe to it. Leave it a review. Uh, it's a great show. And I, I'm lucky enough to be a part of it uh, sometimes, although it's been a little while because I've been very yeah, busy. Yeah, it's been a little while. And we got to get you We got to get you back on because uh, it's kind of strange not having you there. And <laughs> I, I will tell you this that kim keeps pressing me for the droids episode yeah so we gotta to, we gotta come down with a date with you before you yeah before you run off to florida yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to get that worked out for Definitely. sure well, well rob thanks again for joining yes. us and we'll look forward to bringing you on again at least i think we'll look forward to bringing you on again we always <laughs> look forward to bringing you on again for uh episode eight of course the last jedi coming up next month well, we've proven that we, if we, even if we don't agree, we can do it civilly. So <laughs> um, I don't anticipate us having any issue with that episode. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. All right. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Thanks. Thank you. you. Thank you, Rob. So thanks again to Rob LaBerry of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Always comes on, does a spectacular job of helping us break down these Star Wars films as we're leading to the end of the Skywalker <laughs> saga coming up here in just about a month. Uh, so exciting. Yeah, I can't wait for it. It's going to be uh an exciting, I'm sure, exciting finale to something that has been such an iconic part of our lives. No question about it. I'm looking forward to it as well. So uh, that's it. That's it for our main topic of the week. But as always, we try and hit you on some of the Disney stories of the week. And I've got a few for you coming up here. And I'm going to start off with what was the biggest story of the week. And that was that Disney Plus debuted with a bang and a few glitches. Right. Well. A few. Yeah. I mean, but I think this story is going to explain maybe why there were a few glitches coming off uh, the beginning of uh, of Disney Plus. Uh, this is from usatoday.com. On Wednesday, uh, Disney said that the service had surpassed a remarkable 10 million signups. Wow. That's just an, an amazing number for any streaming right. service, and especially right off the And I think in the morning, and especially on Tuesday, that virtually all 10 million were online <laughs> at the same time, which is why they ran into a few glitches right. on Disney plus. Well, I mean, they did have that where you could click on for a seven day free mm -hmm. trial too. So I could see where some people may have told their friends that they could do that if they, even if they hadn't signed up for a subscription. Right. And we'll see uh, how many remain after that seven day free right. trial finishes up, but 10 million is an incredible number. And I, I think it even surpassed what Disney expected uh, mm -hmm. what that people would be there for day one. I knew right. they thought it would be popular. I don't think anyone had the idea that it was going to be 10 million subscribers on, and you know, the first week, first couple of days of, of Disney plus. Probably because we talked about it in our last podcast. That must have been it. We convinced people uh, to Disney, sign up. I, we'll take a kickback. <laughs> it's fine. If you want to just give us free Disney plus, we'll take that. That's fine. I'll take that. 
Uh, demand uh, was, quote, jaw-dropping, end quote, said Wedbush Securities analyst Daniel Ives in a note to investors Wednesday. The number is, quote, is considerably higher than we and many on the street were anticipating, end quote. He said that that could uh, drive Disney to hit its goal of 60 million to 90 million subscribers by 2024, which would be two years ahead of schedule. Wow. Uh, thusly, uh, Disney's uh, stock climbed significantly on yeah. uh, Wednesday and uh, Netflix took a little bit of a hit on Wednesday. So right. understandably so. But uh, we, you know, we were watching Disney Plus day one uh, through the glitches. We had some issues, but we got through it and watched a lot of great stuff. We were enjoying every bit of it so far uh, that we've seen. Uh, the Mandalorian was fantastic. Right. The Imagineering story, we just watched the second episode yesterday and yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make it through without it breaking into tears. It's so emotional it, and, and wonderful. Right. It time. is great. It is um, awesome to hear, you know, the real life stories of how this company, you know, grew from the grassroots. Mm -hmm, for sure. I uh, love it so much. Uh, Jeff Gold, the world according to Jeff Goldblum <laughs> was hilarious. Loved it. Uh, there's just so much great and all this other great content, movies, shows that we haven't seen in ages uh, on there uh just it's just really exciting to have that now at our fingertips and it was fun that night that it actually started earlier than they were saying <laughs> shell comes up i was in bed <laughs> shell goes up guess what it's on we need to get you know how do i get it on to sign up so i got it onto the playstation 4 which is where we have it on our main tv for her and, and she was able to watch a little bit right. before she went to bed i went right back to bed I, i'll watch it in the morning <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny well first of all i want people to understand i do know how to do things like that i just didn't know which format he had put it on because we had actually got gotten something well, else I, for I mean, our, you our just, room you just never had access an app through uh, playstation 4 before right. done games and yeah. whatever else you never had access an app so right. i just uh, made it easier yeah for and, and i thought it. you were going to stay up and watch too i know you did but i'm uh, sleepy <laughs> sleepy <laughs> Anyway, let's move on and let's move from Disney Television to Disney Cruise Line, which received more accolades this week. This from the Disney Parks blog. For the seventh year in a row, Disney Cruise Line has earned the number one spots in the best cruise line for families and best cruise lines in the Caribbean categories of the U.S. News and World Report's 2020 best cruise line rankings. Uh, that doesn't shock us at all. No. Uh, Disney Cruise Line is fantastic. Right. Absolutely. We would recommend it highly. Yes. Uh, if you've never been on a Disney cruise before and you're, even if you're pondering it, I would, I would suggest you do it. We did an episode just a few weeks back where we, you know, laid out some of the things you want to know about being on a Disney cruise. Uh, it really is a lot of fun and it's great uh, for kids. It's great for families, but it's also great for adults, which I think kind of goes by the wayside sometimes. Right. I think we have an episode coming up in a couple months that it's going to really focus on the adult going on a Disney cruise. Mm, just as a adult time on Disney cruise. Right. right. Yeah. That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that episode, doing that episode because we have a lot of adult fun on Disney. Yes. Cruise, sure. <laughs> uh, moving on. So uh, we'll go over to uh, the Disneyland resort and just, kind of this is just information for people to know coming up here but there's a couple of popular Disneyland attractions that are going to be scheduled for refurbishment coming up here in 2020 so this from the ocregister.com uh, Disneyland filed a building permit with the city of Anaheim for a major overhaul for the Indiana Jones adventure this is according to city records uh, Disneyland officials confirmed the Indiana Jones adventure motion based dark ride is scheduled for refurbishment in 2020 
That's cool. That's exciting. Yeah, I guess so. But it's going to be closed for some people at certain times. Right. Now, uh, we didn't actually get a date for when it's closing, but uh, uh, March 2020 is it's going to mark its 25th anniversary. Can you oh, believe wow. it's been around for 25 years? Uh, but it's going to be on its 25th anniversary. So I don't know if they're going to either uh, try and get it done before that starts right. or if they're just going to wait and celebrate it and then, you know, do it right afterwards. Sure. But uh, apparently they're going to replace the plank bridge and its steel structure in the show of the Indiana Jones Adventure attraction and refurbish some rock work. Uh, so won't be any significant change, I don't think, to the attraction itself. Just kind of polish, you know, putting a spit shine on, right. on the ride. Also, uh, getting a uh, refurbishment or renovation in 2020 will be Snow White's Scary Adventures in Fantasyland. So uh, make your plans accordingly if you're looking to do a trip next year and right. those attractions are on your list to do. Uh, we don't know for sure that when they'll be closing and when they'll be reopening. So. Right. So. Oh, good information, though. Yeah. So that's it for the Disney stories of the week. However, we never leave you without some sort of tip that might help you on your next vacation, whether you're heading to the parks, the resorts, uh, Disney Cruise Line, as we just talked about, Run Disney. We try and have some little tidbit that might help you have a more enjoyable vacation trip, whatever the case may be. And we always start with Michelle. One, because she's awesome, wonderful, beautiful, <laughs> sexy, uh, but also because she has the very best tip so let's get to it here is michelle's tip of the week <laughs> thank you honey uh actually i'm going to give um two little tips two little tips. two little tips so um the first one is if you're staying at a disney world resort um this holiday season and you want to spend $250 or more, you can have a small decorated Christmas tree from the Disney Floral and Gifts delivered to your resort. Um, but seriously, I know that's kind of a lot of money, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying a lot of people would do that, but uh, they do have um, either ready-made or create-your-own-baskets that you can uh, put together, and, and they're not a significant expense, but they can sure add an amazing amount of uh, fun surprises especially if you want to surprise somebody who's going with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe those are like customizable, right? Right, you, you right. You kind of add your own. It's not, you can buy a prepackaged one, but you can also kind of uh, add in the things you like in those baskets, exactly. right? Exactly. You can start from creating, um, picking out your either basket or, you know, some kind of container and then it, whatever treats or books or you know, all kinds of things for the home. They have so many things that you can choose from. You can put as many or as little as you want into that and arrange to have it delivered either to uh, your resort or to a restaurant. So it, it's really fun to do that. Mm -hmm. And this time of the year, I was looking at that they have some really cute holiday treats that you can add to your basket as well. So that's something to consider. It's a lot of fun. And again, you don't have to uh, break the bank to do that. Nice. Uh, and also talk Talking about snacks, I just want to, um, some people may or may not know this, but if you have the dining plan and you end up having like a surplus of snack credits at, and it's the end of your trip, you can go to the, the retail shops on property and get sealed snacks like popcorn or pretzels or candy. So you won't lose that and you can have that to bring with you as you're traveling back home. Excellent. Uh, that's a great tip. Uh, both tips, uh, great tips. And uh, 
very helpful to people that are looking for one, a little treat in different ways when right. you're out at the parks or yeah. resorts. So very nice. I must be hungry because I had snacks on the brain. Uh, it's almost snack time for yes. us. Uh, <laughs> of course, Michelle's tips always have the always are the best tips. <laughs> uh, let's get to my tip, which is basically a tip that we should have listened to this week. And then my tip <laughs> is that uh, we should actually go back and listen to our podcast uh, when we went to Moonlight Magic last year because we made the mistake this year of going to DVC Moonlight Magic and falling for the same thing we kind of fell into last year. And so I'm going to reiterate that tip <laughs> to help you if you're going to a DVC Moonlight Magic event coming up here. One, we had a little bit of it. We were running late. We had to get all the way up from San Diego to uh, the Disneyland Resort. And traffic, uh, traffic was, was miserable. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it kind of set us behind on things. But uh, one of the things with uh, DVC Moonlight Magic is they give you a food voucher uh, when you go to these things, it's usually a $20 per person. Right. That's enough. At to, least the ones here on the West Coast. Right. And I believe they do them also at the uh, Walt Disney World Resort. And they get to allow you to get a, uh, you know, some sort of quick service meal and a drink or right. whatever, you know, and that's great. Uh, the, the issue with it is, though, is that when most people, everybody has those vouchers. So... They only have so many food places open and everybody goes to those food places. Right. And so there's a long line for food right at the beginning of right. the night. And they don't have mobile ordering at that time because the park's closed. They do not have mobile ordering. So you're kind of stuck having to wait in line if you're really hungry. And we had talked about this. We knew this. As soon as we got there, we realized our mistake. Uh, last time, the same thing happened. We, we said we should have you know, eaten ahead of time. Right. And then we could have you know, used the voucher later on in the night. Well, we didn't eat ahead of time. We were very, very hungry when we got there. <laughs> so we kind of had to waste the first 45 minutes of our night there in line. Right. So, and I'm, we thought we were going to get there earlier. I have to say that that was part of it, too. We really expected to be in time before the parks really closed that we could have got and something from the the uh, holiday kiosks. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, what I'm just going to say is don't be make the rookie mistake that we <laughs> made. Um, I mean, we you know, as much as we are, you know, somewhat experts on Disney that we can still make mistakes too. where we are human. Uh, but just, you know, one, listen back to our podcast and find out where we thought we could, you know, we, we had right. ideas on things because, you know, and I, I guess we should do that too. But also, if you are going to these Moonlight Magic events, either, you know, plan on having a little snack somewhere in the middle of the day that might tide you over till a little later in the night. That way you're not, uh, you know, wasting some of the fun time that right. you're out there, that you're taking advantage of this, this wonderful complimentary thing that uh, Disney Vacation Club provides as a, a bonus on top of uh, their, you know, membership. Sure. Uh, so you're not using that, just waiting in line to, to get, food because you're starving right so. right great tip anyway not really it's just more again the tip is um be smart and we were not so. <laughs> well again yeah i agree um we we should have planned for an eventuality of bad traffic uh unusually bad traffic and no, like I said, I, my my thinking was like I should we should have just went back and listened to our episode when we did it last year <laughs> because we did the exact same thing. But I'm trying not to sound so dumb. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fool me once, uh, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, it's our fault, and we need to correct that. But other than that, great time. The uh, World of Color holiday uh, season of light or whatever I can't remember the name of it exactly, mm -hmm. but I uh, had a blast watching right. that, and it was it was a fun night. You know, got our free Mickey bars that come along with the DC yes. Moonlight Magic. So. It was fun. It was. Anyway. So uh, that's it for next uh, this week. Next week, uh, it's Thanksgiving week. So we're going to kind of move into 
you know, things that we're thankful for, for Disney, you right. know, things that we either have some sort of tie into being thankful or that we are thankful that Disney provides for us. Yeah, it's going to be a kind of a fun, interesting topic. And we might get some feedback on Twitter ahead of time. Yeah, we would probably be reaching out to you all and see what you're thankful for, uh, from most thankful for from Disney. And we'll love to get your input on that as well as the Hall of Fame. And of course, don't forget this week's code word is... Maz. The code word is Maz. So uh, be sure and write that down so you have that for the end of the month when we do our giveaway. So uh, thanks for joining us today. In the future, you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts. However, the best place to find us is on our website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. And while you're there, why don't you just go ahead and sign up for the newsletter? If you sign up for the newsletter and you forget to write down the code word, well, the code word will come right to you in your email box. So you will have that there for you uh, for the giveaway at the end of the month. But we also give all sorts of information on uh, podcasts we've done, what we have coming up in the future, and uh, various other knickknacks, doodads, fun stuff that we're doing. Getting ready to um, prepare the spreadsheet, the travel idea, you know, how to plan out your trip. Very nice. Ah, So look forward to that. Michelle's spreadsheets are always (laughs) the best (laughs) spreadsheets. So... Uh, also, please follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And if you ever want to contact us for any reason, you can always email us at Hyperion Adventures Podcast at gmail.com. And we really would appreciate if you could take time to leave us a review and even better, tell a friend. Absolutely. That's the best way for people to find out about our show or any other podcast that you love, a review or just telling your friends about them. Uh, really helps us all out so much. That's it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hyperion Adventures podcast. We look forward to sharing some time with you again next week. But until that time, I'm Tom. I'm Michelle. And we hope that you have a magical week.